Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Once again, I am the other host. Yes, it's not. We didn't have to record this three, four times at all. That, that didn't happen. Nope. But what did happen is we came back with an awesome episode for you. We're continuing our travel through the history of comic book movies. This is part 10. That's a lot of parts. It is a lot of parts, and there's going to be a lot more. Now, part 10, as we did with our previous part, we're doing one year at a time because the number of movies per year is increasing. So just the single year that we're doing in 2004 had five comic book movies in it. But good ones. But good ones. That's ones we've uh, been able to see for the most part uh, from one side and completely from the other. So we have some history and some wording and stuff to to talk about it right just wait till episode 11 (laughs) yes episode 11 will be fantastic uh i'm hoping literally yeah exactly Uh, i i was trying to be i was trying to be subtle i'm I'm not good at that i i'm i've learned what i'm good at uh mangling names uh and uh uh doing multiple takes to try and get into an episode i'm good at that too all right, so of course, work to your strengths. That's right. Yeah, keep it keep it simple. So we, as I mentioned, we're into the year of two thousand four. For those of you that are new to listening to us, welcome. For those that are you, that are you, that you are following of people having that are for those of you that are you, you do you. <laughs> but uh, for those that are back from previous episodes, you know the drill. But for the newbies, we are going to be talking about movies based on comic books. Now that specifically means books that were of the comics and not anything before so if it was a radio program that was made into a comic book or a tv show that's made into a comic book and then it was made into a movie doesn't count if it was not originally in english uh wasn't translated into english before it was made into a movie doesn't count english uh just basically because i think it would be hard to really give any sort of commentary on something that i don't understand see yeah it's uh it's 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 fair to say that between us we speak probably one point three languages. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so on to the onto the good stuff. Obviously, spoilers. Now we're in two thousand four, so it's been fifteen years. I would expect that some of you probably would have seen it by now. So hopefully, we won't be ruining anything for anybody. And if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this, then cool <laughs> get over it. for for at least two of these films you're not missing anything um yeah so okay well let's start from the beginning we're gonna uh, we decided to do this in ascending order of of at least what i thought was the maybe least impressive film to what i thought was the best film of 2004 in terms of comic book movies uh now as always that is to say that's opinion and even the film that you don't terribly like is a monumental feat to create and deserves to be applauded for all the hard work that everybody puts into it but just maybe didn't strike us in the way that uh, we had hoped that it would maybe they did not put in hard work and that's why it failed i i have i have a feeling that it's usually not that a lot of times it's just things don't gel and don't work uh, actors that you think are going to be able to play off of each other just don't the script gets rewritten too many times i mean that's a lot of work rewriting the script but it can still really mess things up sometimes you just gotta whip it into shape that's right just like devo 
Um, <laughs> so let's start with what is often considered to, considered to be the worst comic book movie adaptation of all time. I don't know if this is accurate, but it is definitely reviled by a lot of people. Uh, of course, we are speaking of Catwoman. Um, you mentioned earlier, we were talking a little bit uh, ahead of time, that you had not seen all of this film. Uh, I have seen the whole film. Um, I, in some ways, wish I hadn't, but uh, it, it's weird. So this was, was, is, Halle Berry's heyday? Is that what you'd call it? She had, no, she had like a good 15-year just hot streak. I mean, she he, he, consider this. We're talking about this film being pretty much universally panned by everybody. Didn't affect her at all. She's nope. still, still got great roles. And it still made enough money, I think, to recoup the costs that were put into oh, it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that's partly because Halle Berry's just awesome. At least I think so. Unless she's doing a comic book character. I thought she did fine as Storm. Oh, that's just, oh, that's mean. Her Storm was, I mean, it wasn't amazing, but it was still good. It's the weakest one that was in that movie. You thought she was weaker than, like, their version of Sabretooth in the first film, where all he did was growl? What is he supposed to do? Talk, maybe. I don't think he even has a, a line. Yeah. He's Sabretooth. <laughs> Sabretooth yes. talks? Have you read the comics? He talked in um, X-Men Origins. Yeah, because they got uh, Liam uh, Schreiber. Liev. Liev. See, we're recording late. We were talking about this before uh, this uh, episode started, too, how neither of us have slept terribly well. And uh it affects me a little more, I think, because uh, the brain starts to roll out the ears. But that's why you tune in, right? To, to listen to me utterly fail and fall on my face. Tune in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm stuck in the 50s. I'm sorry. But, you know, back to we're, we're, we're getting, off, uh, getting off topic. So back to Catwoman. Now, first of all, Catwoman, if you're not familiar, was created in 1940. Um, it was in a Batman comic book, unsurprisingly. Uh, written by Bill Finger, artist was Bob Kane. Um, pretty, uh, pretty awesome that it's been around that long. You know what? What is it? Uh, almost sixty years uh, at the turn of the millennium. So eighty when this years movie, When this movie was, yeah, created. So I mean, it's 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 had some staying power. It's it's a fun character. So what they did with this film was they took that character and ignored it all. <laughs> And created something and just put the label of Catwoman on it. Um, the director, I don't know if you're familiar with this director, his name is Pitoff. No last name, just Pitoff. Interesting. Maybe that is his last name. I'm not 100% sure there. But this is his only directing gig, basically. Um, he's got some other work in in different ways i mean he did mostly like special effects stuff like uh, alien uh, resurrection and a bunch of foreign films uh but this ruined it for him so you said before it didn't do anything to halle berry well yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely did something for this guy. Maybe, maybe. Or girl. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, but the cast was actually pretty interesting. Like like we were talking about Halle Berry's in it. You've got uh, Benjamin Bratt, uh, who I will always think of as the detective from Miss Congeniality. Um, gosh, he was in... Was it L.A. Law? Is that what he was in? Am I thinking was of that wrong? Was he in L.A. Law? I don't think he was in L.A. Law. He was a uh, some police or lawyer drama, wasn't he? On TV, on the television? If he was, I didn't watch it, so I don't know. If only we had a resource. Um, he was also in um, that one show with the people, and they, he, he kills... <laughs> <laughs> Dexter, there we go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. People immediately know which one that one is. Uh, okay, let's let's continue on. We will fight through the haze. I mean, we're talking about one of the worst movies ever here, so we're struggling just to come up with nonsense to revolve around the movie. That's so. true. So we'll we'll kind of charge through it. Sharon Stone was in it. Sharon Stone's awesome. Everybody remembers Basic Instinct. I mean, Slither. It's uh, she. She's generally good in a lot of the stuff that she does. Uh, Lambert Wilson is in it now. You might remember him as the swarthy Frenchman from the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you've got Francis Conroy who plays Barney's mom in How I Met Your Mother. Uh, Alex Borstein, who is hilarious. She's a really funny woman that was in Mad TV originally. Has been in a ton of stuff, done voice work for like. Um, Robot Chicken and things like that. And she's in, apparently in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I still haven't seen yet. I keep hearing good things, and I just haven't gotten to it. I think most would recognize her from her, her voice from Family Guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you got uh, Michael Massey, who was in The the Crow. Uh, fun Boy, I seem to remember. I think. Okay, that, yep. Uh, okay. And he's an amazing Spider-Man. A bunch of other films uh, passed away a number of years ago, unfortunately. Uh, you've got uh, Byron Mann, who's Mr. Chow in The Big Short, the really slimy guy that helps to explain uh, some of the some of the stuff at dinner to one of the guys. Uh, but he was also Yao Fei in Arrow, who was, a, who was a big character in that television show, and he did a great job in that. And I completely forgot uh, he was in the show Dark Angel, um, which was one of uh, the favorites of my, one of my wife's favorites. Uh, back from the day, one of the early bits of uh, of uh, Dark the, Angel, yeah, you know, the Invisible Woman. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, I'm I'm having a, a mental Angel. mental moment. A very uh, young and uh, um, uh, she's in Sin City, and yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah okay, yeah, I know. Her. Who is fantastic always. Yes, you know who we're talking about. Yeah, you know exactly who we're talking about. And I think what we're going to need to do is just record her name and enter it in a snippet with an apology. Nah. But, that that but person. she's so cool. Uh, she, she was in Sin City. She was in um, other movies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh uh, machete! Yeah, we're on the fail train tonight. This is this is going to be a fun episode for those of you coming through with us. Uh, Christopher um, Robin Heyerdahl 
who's in the Van Helsing TV show, Stargate Atlantis. He's actually in another movie in this particular year that we're going to be talking about. Uh, Peter Wingfield, we've already talked about before. He was in the second X-Men movie. He uh, was in the Highlander television show as one of my favorite characters. Uh, so, I mean, all in all, uh, a pretty solid cast. Just the story was... I mean, why, first of all, why did they change the name of the character for particularly no reason? I mean, Catwoman is Selena Kyle. Kyle. It's not Selena Kyle in the movie. It's Patience something. It's just terrible. Um, They changed the origin. And partly, I kind of understand because they're trying to do it without Batman. And her origin is tied directly to that character. So they probably had to come up with something new. It's just they didn't choose very well. Um, The fight scenes were kind of stale the the action sequences the part where she's on the basketball court is awful and it's just really really bad um and it's it's i i it's hard to know where to place where it went wrong i i I don't i don't really get what they were trying to do with this film uh probably the script and the director that no one's ever heard of Mm. it's a good place to start I would love to have some more time to, to do some research into this because I am I know there's stories out there that, about the history of the film. There's more to it than that. But at the same time, I don't really want to because it would just make me sad. Yeah. Episode 17, The History of Catwoman. <laughs> the movie from 2004. Oh, we're, we're going to just kind Part of... one. We're just going to kind of move move past that and uh, go to the next. Jessica Alba! That's who it was, right. How could we have forgotten that? I, I can't believe that we just missed it. Um, so, let's move on to a movie that is from a movie that's particularly un, unpalatable to one that had amazing promise that just kind of didn't work uh, for the most part. I mean, there are aspects of this next movie that are really good, mm-hmm. and and but it doesn't really gel. And there's fun stories of how uh, <laughs> of how the movie was created <clears throat> that are out there. Uh, we're going to start talking about Blade Trinity, the third and final installment in the Blade series. Well. They had to try to overcome the sequel. Um, the sequel was amazing, and it will stay amazing no matter what you say. Well, at least Guillermo did a better job on his next movie. Uh, well, we'll get to that. But uh, So Blade Trinity uh, was directed by David S. Goyer. Now, this is kind of interesting. David S. Goyer is like a titan. In, in terms of production and writing and uh, and directing, he's just got a ton of credits. And most of the stuff he's got is just, you know, particularly well-received. Like uh, a lot of writing and production credits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I mean, he did uh, The Crow City of Angels. He did uh, Dark City. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. We kind of talked about that one already. Um, the first two Blade films he wrote. Um he as well as Blade Trinity, he did uh, Batman Begins. Actually, the whole Batman trilogy he wrote. 
Um, so that was the Nolan directed series. So, mm-hmm. I mean, those were amazing. He did the Blade TV sh- uh, series, the Jumper movie screenplay. Um, he's uh, all over the place. He even did Man of Steel, which was a little divisive, but we'll get there at some point. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, dude knows what he's doing. Um, so, I mean, you would think in charge of this project, he already did the previous Blades. He, he knows what's going on. It's... It, Yet somehow didn't quite didn't quite work. Egos at play, possibly. A returning Wesley Snipes. Did you hear anything about the uh, stories from behind the scenes? Uh, no. Tell me more. So um, some some of the interesting stories, whether they are true or not, I I tend to want to believe that they're true. That uh, Wesley Snipes was so unhappy with the way the movie was going that he would not talk to anybody. He would just stay in his trailer until he had to do whatever scene. Sometimes he wouldn't come out to do the scenes. He would give people notes to give to the other people to talk to, and it would always be notes from Blade. Not from Wesley Snipes, but from Blade. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to kill you. If you get a chance, take a look up uh, one of the individuals in this film who uh, I love as a stand-up comedian very much, Patton Oswalt. Um he has some fun stories relating to this movie and uh, interesting insight. Um, and that seemed there are several people that tend to corroborate how how this film kind of fell apart. But it's not because the not because of the casting. Obviously, you've got uh, you've got Wesley Snipes coming back. You got Chris Christopherson for the first ten minutes of the film. Uh, <laughs> doesn't last real long, but. Uh, uh, they got Dominic Purcell to do the main bad guy. Now, this is really before he blew up and became really, really well known for the other stuff that he did. Wasn't he, this, was this Prison Break time? Prison Break. Uh, I think Prison Break would have happened after this. I seem to remember it being after this. Or if it was concurrent, it had just started. So, I mean, but, and of course, he went on to just do other stuff he's been in the Arrowverse for some time as the same character and it's just been fantastic um and he was uh, really he was great in this film i mean there's there's no two he did a great villain um you got jessica beale uh as whistler's daughter um ryan reynolds uh is ryan reynolds basically in the film which is fine because that's what everybody wants to see because he's just funny um i don't know if he was necessarily the right pick for this particular character uh he has some fairly rich history in the comic books and uh uh, the vampire that manages to become human again um in the night stalkers comic book in the 90s uh, he was he was a lot of fun to read and was not like ryan reynolds at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't can't even really read into that. But if you're going to go in a completely direct, uh, different direction from the comics, I guess it's okay to do with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Parker Posey, who was just huge in the 90s. She uh, was a bad person in this movie. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, John Michael Higgins, uh, who is hilarious if you've ever seen him in any of his roles. Uh, he generally does comedies. But uh, dude is just always funny, and uh, I enjoy seeing him and stuff. Triple H was in this. Uh, um, Eric Bogosian, just take a look at the dude's face. Uh, you will recognize him as soon as you see it. And then, of course, Christopher Heyerdahl. 
which we just talked about in the previous film. Um, so well, Ryan Reynolds wasn't. I mean, obviously, we know who he is now. He's one of the most popular people on the planet. Blah blah blah. But back then, wasn't the same. Like this was no. kind of his. Well, this was post Van Wilder. Yes, like just post Van Wilder. Yeah. So he was just kind of on the upswing. This was his momentum building time. Yeah. Let's call it that. But uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely glad he had some rough starts in comic book movies. But I'm definitely glad he found his uh, found his footing with Deadpool. I'm I'm super happy about that. But uh, yeah, so great casting. What did you think about this particular film? Um. It's, now, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but if memory serves me right, I found it fine. Fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There, there, some of the things were a little over the top, and some of the storylines, if I remember right, were just kind of um, easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, were, they weren't like they were easily constructed, let's put it that way. Yeah. And all the people were... were fine it's just nothing that really stood out in in a certain sense like you know in blade 2 for example uh some of the stuff and that was just uh, amazing it was bad it was all amazing and that stood out but in this one since I've been a while since i've seen it uh nothing really stood out all right good or bad let's put it that way so let's break it down back plot wise again so a group of vampires want to be the best vampires ever so they look for dracula dig him up out of the desert and hope that he's going to lead them into the land of being the dominant predators again. And, of course, the uh, the poor, unfortunate Whistler dies when uh, there's an attack on the base at the beginning of the movie. And he has to, uh, Blade has to find help in the form of Whistler's daughter, who has what looks like a laser bow and arrow. Except it's not a bow and arrow because the string is laser. It just... It's kind of backwards. It's a little odd, but, you know, whatever. And, of course, Hannibal King with uh, Ryan Reynolds' character is uh, there to make the fighting all the better. Um, And so, basically, it's just kind of a cat-and-mouse hiding game as they're chasing each other through New York uh, through most of the movie. Ends in a big fight and the the bad guy's lair. Bad guy's lair, multiple stories, glass building inside and yeah and uh vampire dogs (laughs) i mean it's it is what it is it was the sword fight between uh uh drake as they call him which it's dracula that's one of the things that always just gets me in in the in the uh, imdb entry and i'm sure that's the way it is on on the movie he's listed as drake it's not drake it's dracula Call it whatever you want. It's Dracula. Maybe he's kept from Canada and he has hippity hops that he's good at. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but, you know, it was it was okay. The action scenes were, for the most part, all right. The uh, illusion bits where he's constantly taking people's shapes, that was done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, nothing that stood out as being, hell, man, that's really cool. Or nothing was like, oh, that's cheesy and bad. So, yeah. It's all right. Kind of fun. Um, Now we go from cheesy sometimes and sort of not really to a film that is basically in the same exact um, 
category. You got Punisher, 2004. The, the Punisher, yes. Um, now, there was a Punisher movie before this. There was. We talked about it. Um, there was a Punisher movie after this. Yep. Um, none of them related nope. in any form or fashion. Um, I of those three, tend to think of this as the second best of those three movies. You like the War Journal? War Journal. Punisher War Journal. What's that one? That was the one after this one. There's another one? I was talking like, um, mm, with Ray Stevenson? Mm-hmm. What called War Journal, was it? War Zone. War Zone, sorry. Yes, I was like, War Journal. I was like, wait a second here. Sorry, that's that's uh, the comics kind of blending into my brain. Because I was like, that did was I miss a, one? Was there a, a directed direct no, video one? No, it was it was the comic was called Punisher War Journal, and that just, uh, too much information. It's all. Yes, War Zone's better. And you, you haven't, have you I seen, have not you have seen, seen that War Zone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one, that one's better. Um, this one's, well, this one's. Fine. It's a little over the top. Is the only problem. Yeah, and like John Travolta's okay. I mean, in this film, he was not great. No, that that's the thing. Like in in general, what I'm saying in general, John Travolta's okay. Yeah, I usually like him, but he's not one of my favorite characters. Face Off is one of the worst movies ever. Um, But it is awful in a great way. I, it was so bad, I loved it. Your old John Woo. <laughs> I mean, come on. You get the overacting of Travolta with the overacting of, um, well, basically everybody. Everybody, yes. But, I mean, it's it's just beautifully bad. And he was also in um, another just amazingly bad movie, Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow was better. It, it started, that one was closer to the main line. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, hostage stuff. You know, it's, it, yeah. it was fun, but, you know. Eh. Yeah, so, like, when you, I, I guess when you think of, to me, when you think of John Travolta, um, Pulp Fiction stands out. Yeah, where he, he was fantastic was in that. Obviously a center figure but they're really i mean there's a lot of main characters that fluctuated throughout that one and that one's widely you know regarded as one that kind of resuscitated yeah. his career well look who's talking was pretty decent yeah th- honestly yeah those are fun yeah. look who's talking too yeah. now yeah I, remember was. I think both of them were films because there were three i'm pretty sure yes but for the most part he's he's okay but in this one and no, and it, it's hard to see him as a big bad guy. Yeah, that's. I think that's the problem. Yeah, is that he can't. He could pull it out. Yeah, uh, a, 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 a a lackey that doesn't quite know what he's doing. He's got that <laughs> perfect. But uh, I'm in charge of everything. Uh, he had problems with that in his Gotti film. Didn't he do a Gotti film? Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it was pretty much it? hated by everybody. Everybody, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this had a lot of good people in it, too. Oh, so yeah. we've discussed this. some of these other ones that had like a good cast, but just things failed on the movie. And this had this, a good cast. This had a real solid cast. I mean, the director's good, too. Jonathan Hensley. Um, he did Gone in 60 Seconds. 
Armageddon, Con Air, uh, wrote the Jumanji screenplay, did uh, the wrote uh, Die Hard with Vengeance, The Saint, Armageddon, Next. Apparently he's doing, uh, or he did, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which may not be uh, what I would call a feather in his cap exactly, but uh, at least his current. It's still working. <laughs> it's still working. Making uh, that paycheck. But uh, I really liked Thomas Jane as Frank Castle. I thought he did a great job. He was fine. I guess it depends on what your interpretation of Frank Castle is. Um, so who who do you think has done Frank Castle the best? So far, uh, from what I've seen, it's been the um, Netflix television show. By far, he, he has it just down. They need to bring him back in whatever capacity they can because he did it just in terms of the feel and the... And the uh, just the portrayal seeming to understanding, seeming to understand how the character is supposed to be relatable to a certain extent, but just not exactly unredeemable. But he's he's in a headspace that you should never be in, and he knows it, and he forces himself to live with it, and that comes through. He he does it perfectly. Yeah. John Bernthal. Yeah, Bernthal's awesome. So I, I feel like Thomas Jane, his portrayal of this character, you know, maybe it's the interaction with his neighbors that he has is a step below that, right? He's got some compassion. Yeah, he's definitely more accessible yep. in this. Uh, and, and I don't know that that's a bad thing, but no. I don't know if that makes the movie better or, or, or worse, but... I still love his uh, role in Scott Pilgrim as the vegan, one of the vegan police. <laughs> still one of my favorite bits in any film. Oh, that was good stuff. But He was in The Predator, which we have done a movie review on. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Um, uh, James uh, Carpinello um, was in this film. He's actually uh, Mario Falcone in, Goth- in Gotham. You know, the, the Batman television show that's not Batman. On Fox? Yeah. Uh, Before Batman was Batman. That's right. Uh, ben Foster, who was in 310 to Yuma and uh, X-Men 3 as Angel. Um, that still throws me off because he's got all the piercings in this film. And he looks completely different between the two. They did such a great job of making him look like that some, character. Some good scenes involving those piercings. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he uh, he pulled off a hell of a performance. <laughs> uh, you've got uh, Eddie Jemison, who was in the uh, Oceans movies and I Zombie and Hung, actually with uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. Uh, I love that dude. He's he's funny, just naturally funny to me. Um, specifically his. Th- his part in the Oceans movies just, just makes me smile every time I see it. That Those those movies in general just make me smile. But uh, he did a great job, I think. Um, Kevin Nash. Uh, the Russian. They call him the Russian. And again, that's, that's not the name of the character, but that's fine. It's fine. Uh, they can't really do the character like it was in the comic books because it's weird. It is really weird from the comics, but we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, Will Patton. He was really, to me, the glue on this movie. Um, yeah, he's 
he's good in a lot of the things that he does. He's not he's not great in things that he does, but he's always good. Well, with the, with some exceptions, I thought. Remember the Titans? He was partic- particularly good. Yeah, and, and um, he's um, well, the Armageddon one. Yeah, he was in there. Yeah, um, he was in a show on TNT for like four seasons that I watched a little bit about an alien invasion. I can't remember what it was he but he was okay in that one too. So like like I said, he's always. Very recognizable. Yeah. Always does well. I don't know that he does amazing, in my opinion. But I, I generally enjoy him um, in pretty much anything. Um, uh, John Panette was in it, who, uh, rest his soul, was a really funny stand-up comedian when he was mm. uh, uh, still with us. Uh, Rebecca Romaine, who was, I think she was still Stamos at this point. I start to lose track. But uh, she... Uh, she was present. The love interest. Yeah, they didn't give her a lot to work with in this film, which was kind yeah. of unfortunate. Because um, I, I think she generally does a good job with whatever, but there wasn't much in this film for her to do. Uh, the best part, though, was the very beginning of the film, because that's where uh, Roy Scheider is uh, as the castle father. Uh, Get blasted on the beach. Yeah, but he got some shots in ahead of time. Well, I got some guns. Go into the shed and get some guns. <laughs> it's just kind of... Uh, and I will say this for this film. It has, in terms of origin stories for Punisher, they did that really, really well. Um, I Because it, it's just kind of pull your heart out of your chest the way they filmed it. I thought they did that perfectly. Uh, if my, uh, there are some people that are a little less, um, forgiving in terms of brutal scenes like that. And they hated it. That means, okay, you did it right. It should just be awful and you should just be sickened by it. And they, they did it right. Blasted. Yeah. Um, the uh, twin brothers thing that threw me just a little bit <laughs> having they, they're 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 not in the same they're not in the same shot except like once so you get the the one really bad shot with the same actor with the two two bits of makeup on <laughs> yeah see there was there was elements to this movie that were cool you know the car that he had that he built up and made fancy everybody likes that know, was good the car stuff right and um his uh, booby trapped apartment yes that's what i was gonna say like the little things he had set up in his apartment to help stop the intruders let's that go. just did nothing <laughs> all that prep and it did nothing uh, yeah so i don't know it was okay but but what about the part where he lit the cars on fire in in the in in the form of a skull? In the skull. <laughs> well, gotta know who did it. Yeah, there's gotta gotta sign the. Uh, nobody's gonna see it from from up high, so it's it's hidden except for all of those helicopters. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, or the bit uh, where uh, hold this uh, grenade as long as you can. Uh, that was kind of uh, that was mean. <laughs> in the in the 
in the closet, right? In the little coat closet. Yeah, and that was uh, probably the only point in the movie where I go, okay, yeah, the Punisher wouldn't do that. Uh, he's he's about efficiency. He's not going to give you a chance to live, and he's got stuff to do. You're just going to die. It's time to go. Uh, that was that was a little too theatrical for uh, what Frank Castle would do. Well, and we mentioned that too. You know, this one's a little bit more. This Punisher in this movie is a little bit more approachable. Yeah, if you will. Uh, just don't approach him with guns drawn. All right, so those are the three that were either kind of eh or kind of less than eh for 2004 but there were two really good ones that came out in 2004 mm-hmm. and you got the sequel to spider-man right sam raimi back at the helm basically everybody comes back you got a few more people coming in mm-hmm. uh what did you think about the 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 move in spider-man 2 where it went a little bit darker than the previous spider-man well i think the idea with this particular movie and we talked about it before we started is that you know a a good movie a good hero has to have a good villain as well and i think doc ock is one of the class there's many classic spider-man villains but i think you saw in this one a pretty good representation of CGI character with arms doing things through the city and stuff like that. I always wondered what that character, though, is the things were fused to his spine, but it didn't. Did it ever change the makeup of the rest of his body? Uh, Not really, no. So, in theory, his body was just as vulnerable as any other thing, right? So, that's why I always questioned a little bit in in this, but... Some things didn't didn't quite work with that logic. Well, and the thing that gets me is the the Doc Ock character is so dorky in the comics, for the most part. I mean, he was hard to take serious for a really long time. Um, So, I was... I would have been concerned uh, about that choice but oh man melina did just fantastic work the writing was really good on it and and the cgi like you said was you know spot on so i mean some of the fight scenes between them were just fantastic yeah yep and that's i i think what i think in terms of when we everybody i i think in in terms of the comic book genre we we talk about blade being one of those first movies that kind of kicked it into gear and then in spider-man you got a lot of oh my gosh like i'm web the web slinging through the city like this is what a a superhero movie actually could be yeah and i think they they really get into the groove of things with this movie it's the one that follows it that fails on everything else but this Mm -hmm. one it continues the success that they had i feel like with the first one well in addition to melina being added to the cast in this you got daniel gillies who was in the original television show. He played uh, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son, the astronaut. Um, uh, Which... He's more in the third film, really, than than the second. Yeah, I, I would have hoped that would have... When, when we saw that, I was like, oh, this is... 
this is giving us hints for stuff. Exactly. And it, it did, but not really, not really. So, um, uh, Dylan Baker was in it. He's always excellent. I mean, the, the lizard, that is the lizard that I would have wanted. They could not have cast that better. And the look was perfect. And then they didn't do anything with it. Nope. It was so disappointing. Um, Asif Manvi is in it. Dude is hilarious. He's uh, been on the Daily Show a number of times, but he's been in a bunch of other stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really good in that. Daniel Day Kim, who is all over the place in sci-fi and comic book stuff. And I always love seeing him and stuff. Uh, it was in this as well. So, I mean, really top-notch cast. The director, of course, Raimi. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with Raimi. I like the the hidden ones um, when you see. So he, he always sticks his brother in movies, and his brother showed up in yep. there. Yeah. And Elizabeth Banks is in this movie. Yeah. And you don't know that it's Elizabeth Banks because you you might have known Elizabeth Banks maybe at that time frame, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but you don't recognize her in this movie. Mainly because her hair color is, yeah. is different. But it's, it's Betty Brandt. So it, that's cool. Bruce Campbell, of course, is in this one as well, too. As the obnoxious Major D. Yeah. So, <laughs> or no, it's not the Major D. I'm sorry. That's is that the third that's one? That's the third. That's one. the third one. He's the uh, the guy in the theater in this one. Yes. Shh. Uh, having him be uh, this the tiniest little cameo and everything, anything is yeah perks think perks your interest your eyes your ears like definitely for me like you're like you're excited like it's bruce and then you don't see him the rest of the movie and that's sad yes uh having him he i mean he's the whole reason i watched burn notice in the first place i mean just he was (laughs) he was great in that show i can never get past the lead actor dude what what his performance as that lead character just didn't do anything for Was him. he a little too elite? A little too uh, Connecticut? I don't know. I don't know what it was. I tried to watch a few episodes of it. And I was just like, I just don't get what direction you're going in this. you got to give it some time. After By the end of the first season, it really kicks into gear. And it's, it's, and it's super good. It It is one of the few shows that I feel gets better with each successive season. I mean, how often does that happen? And by the time they got to uh, the end of the fourth season, there's going like, to be like one more season left. They weren't going to have another season, and they financed it themselves to finish the show. And that, it, that fifth season, I mean, it's been on a steady track up and just shoots up in quality. It is amazing end to a show. It was done really well. Speaking of one of the movies that I was watching, he's one of the minor characters in the Sicario sequel. Oh, I thought you were going to say you are watching Hitch. <laughs> uh, um. He's got a minor character role in Hitch, uh, if, if, uh, if you haven't seen that one. But uh, we're getting off topic, aren't we? Never happens. No, no, no. Uh, so Spider-Man 2, um, solid plot all around, except for the science kind of behind it. Uh what are we going to do to stop the giant star? Let's drown it. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how that works. Just in the bay. Yeah. Nothing bad can possibly happen. No. I mean, it's deep enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and when, when they sink, 
like it's literally just in the bay. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. like it's it's there's shoreline down there. There's no. shoreline down there. There's stuff that are it's it's all around you. And when the thing sinks, it sinks into a forever nothingness yeah. because it's so deep right there. <laughs> Oh, there, there, there are some things in the film that are just kind of fun. Uh, in the fight scene on the train, there are some acrobatics that even with Spider-Man's abilities are not physically possible. Um, I saw someone pointed out at some point that um, Doc Ock kind of teleports on the train. He's in a different spot after he shoots through a bridge than he could possibly have been because of the speed that he's going versus the speed of the train. There's no way that he could have landed on the train and have Doc Ock still be right where he needed him to be. It just it just didn't work. Um, there are little bits like that that are a lot of fun. Uh, what was it? It was... Uh, but he's super strong, and he shot a thousand webs and was able to stop the train. Well, that part I liked. I mean, that that was that was fine. That actually had more science behind it than anything else. Being able to attach it to a bunch of different points in order to get enough stopping power. Yeah, that could potentially happen. I think you'd have to attach to a lot more than he did for the amount of weight and speed that that train was going. And then, of course, um, almost like in The Matrix, you could say, where it's just, oh, we're on this train track, and it just, it ends. <laughs> <laughs> we're on this sure. road it it just ends yeah yeah that's okay good. that's cool that makes sense it, it it's could. elevated too yeah. it's not like this train track has a thing that just goes down or something no it just it ends i like the bit uh where he gives up being spider-man in the film that was fun um isn't isn't this the uh yeah, that's right. He has the whole montage. This this, has, this doesn't have the the really goofy dance in it, but that's it, three. Yeah. That's three. But it does have this just whole happy go lucky day in the sunshine. Since I've given up being Spider Man, it is the most beautiful bit in the movie where you you know see uh, cop cars going by and oh there's a there's a shootout and they're they're driving by and he's got this look of concern. And then he like lifts a sandwich or something up to take a bite and just keeps walking on. <laughs> and that was, I mean, that was definitely part of that character's storyline. Yeah. Right? His battle to think, like, could I actually not do this? And I guess that was okay. I well, mean, I, I think it was interesting the uh, amount of mental gymnastics they had to go through because in the comic books you know he's got the web shooters and the uh and everything uh is is scientific on that and and in the movie he's got organic web shooters well if he's going to give up being spider-man how is he going to lose his web shooting oh uh his heart's just not in it anymore (laughs) well it's true in, in the uh Spider-Man cartoon, he lost his ability to shoot webs and stick to walls. Uh, that's all I've got. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of cheesy, but I enjoyed it greatly. And the dialogue in it is snappy. The even though it's not perfect, the the plot is really good. And it's just a fun watch, and I don't mind watching it repeatedly. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <sighs> Can't watch it on Disney Plus though. Well, 
because it's a Sony movie. Give it some time. Um, no. Yeah, maybe not. All right, so let's let's finish strong. Let's finish with the strongest movie in my mind of uh, 2004 that came out. It was Hellboy with Guillermo del Toro. A return to successful directing. You never left successful directing, you liar. Um, so now Hellboy was created in 1993 by Mike Mignola. Um, and, Mike. Uh, yeah, it's it's an iconic kind of a character. So uh, it needs to be approached in a very specific way and have a very specific look and feel in order to work. And man, did they friggin' nail it! Uh, it was you could not have gotten not only a better cast, but it's got a really good script. Um, it's just well done all in all. Everybody is really. Some it's got something that people can identify with in most of the characters. Even the bit characters are kind of like, oh, that guy's kind of neat. Um, so Ron Perlman, I mean, first of all, who is just fantastic, uh, and you know, I love seeing him in anything, and he just did a, a really good job as being uh, being Hellboy. I mean, I I cannot say enough positive things about his performance. I feel like having never heard of or seen or read any of the comic stuff whatsoever. So I was just coming into it as, oh, hey, this looks like a cool movie. Oh, it's based on a comic. Cool. Let's watch it. And you have that you have that hero aspect. You have that uh, like fantasy sci fi aspect of it. So I. That's what really drew me into wanting to watch this particular movie. It's a little toned down from the comics, uh, at least from my memory. I mean, uh, and as we've experienced this evening, my memory is not doing great right now. But I'm pretty sure it's uh, pretty toned down from the original comics. Um, Because these are all um, PG. These are PG-13s. And, of course, they have attempted recently to do an R-rated one, which was. It was not good. And that was the like the idea was the re reboot was to give it more of the original edge original yes and, and um, they gave it edge they just didn't give it a good plot it was it was not well written and, and I will put that squarely on the writing on that one because the cast was fine and from what I could tell the director was fine but that that storyline was just that and the the, the CGI. No, it was not good. But I've already reviewed that film, so we'll, we'll go past go past that. But this one had the CGI stuff in it. But a lot of the characters, yeah. a lot of practical effects in this one. You know, yeah. the, the the way the characters are, the way the characters are designed. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that that makes it in my opinion, better because the CGI stuff has its place and it's important to have and it's important in a lot of movies. But when you can throw in that mix where you're seeing the practical effects, to me, if you can do it and do it well, that it's excellent. It's excellent. Yeah. And John Hurt, I mean, you can't go wrong with John Hurt. Uh, what younger people might know is Ollivander and the Harry Potter films, but you know, he's just been in so much stuff over the years because he's amazing. A lot of the stuff's um, Selma Blair, uh, people may know from like Cruel Intentions, um, The Sweetest Thing. She was in a lot of those kind of films for a while. I thought she she did 
she was not to be not to be like this, but again, it was kind of from the perspective of somebody that sort of read some of the comic books originally and kind of enjoyed them, but I didn't see her character as being all that important coming into the film. And not only was it important, but she acted the hell out of it and just did just fantastic. And I had to completely re-examine how I looked at it and just realized like, yeah, this is super important. I must have been crazy for thinking it the other way. Well, maybe, maybe how it was presented in the comic, she wasn't as important, but in these, these two movies, she's kind of a, uh, um, a character driver in a certain sense. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Evans, uh, who was in the charmed reboot. Uh, he plays the uh, handler, the, the agent handler mm-hmm. in this film. Uh, but uh, he was in the man of the high castle and the village television series. I mean, he's been keeping pretty busy. Uh, he was not in the sequel that they made for this film, which is kind of sad. Uh, uh, you got uh, Carol Rodin as the uh, uh, main bad guy of the film. And we talked about him just recently because he was in Bulletproof Monk. Um, but uh, Jeffrey Tambor, if you don't know who that is, you should definitely look it up because he is... In a lot of things, and you'd recognize who he was, for uh, sure. And he's always funny. Always funny. Um, Doug Jones, of course, he just won an award for his work, I believe, with Star Trek Discovery. Uh, was the body of one of the characters, but not the voice. Uh, that was uh, uh, Niles Frazier. Oh, wait, no, that's not his name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always who I'll think of when, when you think of the naming on it. Um, yeah, he plays a body in a lot of things. Yeah, he does. Uh, well, so is Brian Steele, who was in this film. Um he uh, he does like the monster stuff, like Underworld and, and mm. things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, heck of a cast. the The plot was well done. This is one of the first ones where I really felt the cinematography was just beautiful. I like mean, the colors. Yeah, that that whole palette was just just fantastic. The opening sequence where they find Hellboy was done really really well. Not only did they have drastic changes in location, but the location changed the palette. And it was just, it was so seamless the way they did it. And everything had like all the locations that that they went to had the, like an old feel to it. Right. Um, Even though it's still a modern setting, a lot of the places, a lot of the things that they were in or went to just seemed old or maybe dingy a little bit um so those were all presented well also yeah uh the samael uh enemy was really neat talking about that cgi the the way that they integrated that in the plot and i just yeah there there really is not uh not a downside the humor was good the action was great the plot was solid and uh that's, I guess maybe that's why the new Hellboys felt like such a pale imitation because they tried to not mimic, that's not the right word, but try to reintroduce several of the key plot points, but just did not do nearly as good a job. Well, and I think they, even between this one and the second one, uh, you had some good presentation, you had good characters, you had good actors. So you were trying to 
you were trying to remake, not remake, but like restart, redo in a certain sense, something that was already great that people loved and was successful. And that's hard to do in general. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. So it was weird that they decided to do a reboot and yeah. not a third movie with everybody. Cause I feel like most of the people were interested. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I don't know they the were, they were trying to get it going for a while, but it just never got off to off to a good start, unfortunately. And then it failed, which was a big sadness for me because that, that second movie left a really good set of plot threads that they could have gone to in that third film. I mean, it was just, it was too good. But, you know, them's the breaks. It is what it is. That was 2004, at least when it comes to comic book movies. Uh, did you see these films? Did you have the same kind of opinions that we had? Share on social media. You can find us everywhere. And nowhere. Wait, that's not true. We're everywhere. Absolutely. We're on Facebook, right? The book face, yes. Yeah. Putting guys. We're on Instagram, also putting guys. We are on uh, Twitter as real putting guys. Real for real friends. We even have one very special location that we have a, a bit of a presence. <laughs> Patronon? Yes. <laughs> patronize patronize uh patronize everybody yes we are on the we are on the patreon uh, you too can support your local pudding guys for just a dollar a month where you can help us buy the ingredients to make new pudding episodes uh, we appreciate every one of our donors and hope to see you there no that doesn't work see I didn't even get to the end of the episode before it just It was a fell. forced ending. I was, I was like, okay, is this it? No. Is this no. the end? No, it's not the end of the episode. I was just trying to suggest people go to Patreon. See, maybe <laughs> maybe if we had more donors, I would be better at me. No, Done. that's not going to change. Like, here's this. Okay, kids. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the episode. <laughs> um, watch where you're stepping. All right, so... Uh, we're going to do something different this time. For the end of the episode, it's going to be all up to this man. Right across. He's going to end it for us. Thanks for listening. No, no, I was like, Thank you. We appreciate your time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a poo. No poos. No poos.